This Marketplace podcast is supported by Invest Puerto Rico. Build the future in paradise. Puerto Rico, a hub for innovators brimming with world-class talent and a thriving entrepreneurial ecosystem. Learn more at investpr.org backslash marketplace today. Recently on the Marketplace Morning Report, you heard our Democracy in the Desert series. We took you to places characterized by researchers as news deserts to see what communities stand to lose when they're without a local news ecosystem, especially during an election year. This kind of reporting takes resources. David Brancaccio went on a six-day reporting trip with two of our producers, grounding themselves in these communities and meeting locals who are trying to find solutions and fill the gaps. Every donation to Marketplace helps sustain this kind of in-depth journalism. Please give what you can today at marketplace.org slash donate. Who was buying homes before interest rates really spiked? I'm David Brancaccio in New York. 30-year mortgages are running above 7% today, down from 8% in October, but not the 3s and 4% we used to see. The National Association of Realtors has a report showing that from 2012 through 2022, home ownership swelled, and the realtors break this down by race. Between 2012 and 2022, the National Association of Realtors says homeownership increased by nearly 11 million people. Homeownership rates rose to record highs among Latino and Asian American populations. While more African Americans bought homes as well, the rate of homeownership within that population still lagged at 44%, rising just one and a half points over a decade. But despite the gains experienced by minority groups, the vast majority of the new homeowners over the 10 years measured in the report were white. The National Association of Realtors says that points to pervasive barriers facing minority groups, including disproportionately high student loan debt burdens. Minority homebuyers are also more likely to be first-time homebuyers, without the benefit of equity built up from a previous home to help put down a bigger down payment for the next one. These challenges preceded the rapid rise in mortgage interest rates over the last two years, which has made homeownership less affordable. I'm Nova Safo for Marketplace. The Dow is not physics. It's people making choices among 30 stocks they feel represent the wider market. There's news that a little company called Amazon will replace Walgreens on that list of 30. This compensates for Walmart stock splitting, which had the effect of reducing the weight of retailing in the Dow. Amazon is also a media and cloud computing company as well. Amazon goes into the Dow on Monday. I see Amazon stock is up 1.2% in pre-market trading now, but overall Dow futures are down two-tenths of a percent. S&P futures are down three-tenths percent. We watch one documentary film a month exploring marketplace themes for what we call Econ Extra Credit. This month, it's a doc called Invisible Beauty, film as autobiography, chronicling the life and influence of model and entrepreneur Beth Ann Hardison and her push to diversify the fashion industry over many decades. Today, we consult fashion historian Shelby Ivy Christie. Thank you for joining us. I'm so excited to be here and talk about this topic. Things come into fashion. They go out of fashion. Alas, a commitment to diversity seems to be one of those things. From your perspective, it gets embraced for a season or two, then goes away? 
Yeah, definitely. As a fashion and costume historian, a lot of my work is aimed at examining fashion through the lens of race, class, and culture and kind of how all of these things intersect with fashion. I think when we look at the state of diversity in fashion, it appears to be very fad focused. You know, we saw all of the black squares go up in solidarity in 2020. And then here we are and many DEI roles are being eliminated from organizations. We're seeing runways go back to very thin body types. We still haven't seen very much plus size variation on the runways. We're going back to the very white, thin, blonde hair, blue eyed archetype in fashion. And even beyond the runway into these boardrooms, into these organizations, we're still not seeing diversity, right? We're seeing creative directors post their teams, you know, a celebratory post at the end of a amazing show. And we're seeing completely white teams. So it's, it's on both ends of the spectrum. It's in the pages, on the runway, in the visual outputs of fashion, but it is also in the boardrooms, in the organizations, in the business of fashion, we're not seeing the diversity. And built into your answer is an important reminder that diversity also encompasses, it could be race, it could be sizes, it could be features. I mean, there's all sorts of ways of thinking about diversity in any industry, but also fashion. Correct. You nailed it and you named it correctly. Diversity is across many different things, even as you touched on featureism, right? Hair texture, colorism is another challenge that we have in fashion, right? Is there representation on the darker end of the spectrum of skin tone, on a kinkier texture of hair, and who is having say in what visual output is on the runway and what ultimately drives trends, as you said, size. There might be a little bit of diversity in body type now for, I feel like, female models, not enough. But on the men's side, we're still seeing that YSL, very thin cigarette, you know, kind of approach and look to fashion. It can be very polarized within fashion, the diversity. We might see it spring up in women's wear, but maybe not in men's wear. And then now we're moving away from gender. So how do we account for diversity in the fluid space as well? The sense that you have of where the industry is right now, you've seen echoed in, for instance, what you're seeing during Fashion Week is reinforcing the views that you just shared? So designers who are diverse themselves, whether it's ethnically, racially, we're seeing them really drive the diversity. Designers like Edvin Thompson at The Affilio, he's a Jamaican immigrant, the head of design at Loire, who used to be at Hood Bayer. We're seeing a lot of these designers drive the change and the innovation when it comes to diversity, in my opinion. But what we're not seeing are legacy, you know, white <laughs> houses with white creative directors, white head of design, really driving the diversity. It can't be the diverse group of people always driving the advancement. We need it to spread out into the industry and be something that everyone is valuing. Mark Jacobs might be doing a relatively good job, but outside of that, I do feel like it's people of color, designers of color, really driving that diversity. We've been inviting our audience members to watch this really autobiographical documentary this month, Invisible Beauty, about, of course, Bethann Hardison. There are accounts in this movie of people accepting as an article of faith that if you put black models on the cover of a magazine, it's not going to sell, which, of course, has been disproven over and over. Yeah, it's jarring to hear, you know, 40, 50, 60 years later that these are still some of the challenges that we're having. Even that comment implies that whiteness is the standard and everything else is the other, right? And so that attitude in the industry, I think, is still very much so prevalent. Usher was just on the cover of Vogue and there was a woman next to him, 
a white woman and similar with LeBron James's cover, even sometimes where there is a black person there, there has to be a white person present to counter it, even if they have absolutely nothing to add to the context, add to the editorial. You know, these are things that are still happening. Yeah, it's the January 17th Vogue. Here it is. We have these charming young kids in full football getup. There's Usher, who's holding one of the young football players on his shoulder, and there's a big football. And then kind of from who knows where is a white model dressed all fancy, and you're not quite sure exactly why she's there. Not to take anything away from the model, she's gorgeous and talented, but in the context of trying to celebrate Usher, his upcoming Super Bowl performance, he is a legend and an icon in his own right. He's been, you know, a talent for 30 years pumping out excellent work. Why is this person in this image? Why, when it is black talent or talent of color, there has to be a white proxy there to seemingly give credibility or make it more palatable or whatever the conversation might have been behind the scenes about the sellability, profitability. And as I mentioned, LeBron James had a similar cover, which caught a lot of backlash around maybe looking like King Kong. He also had a white female celebrity alongside him. And again, it calls into question why can't these talents stand alone? These are mega talents, award-winning talents, generational talents. I get from your answer that what you may not be able to prove but suspect is that someone in the fashion industry, someone making choices at Vogue, may have thought, well, you got to put a white person in the cover. Yeah, and it goes a level deeper than that. So sometimes it's the nuance of not only is it just the Vogue editorial staff, you're also answering to the sales team and the publisher about what brands are in that picture, right? What do they have on? It might be ad related. It might be brand related. What ads are in that book? And then you also might be to the service of those brands, right? Depending on what they're wearing, you know, what is styled in that look brands. And if they're spending a lot of advertising dollars somewhere, they want to have say, I don't know if that's mm. the case in this image, but that is with any industry, right? If you place an ad, that brand might have say so over the other context that's going on because their product is placed in that image. And so they may also have some say so. It is important about who is at those tables too, right? Who is in those rooms and those decision makers on the brand side as well. We've been having a conversation with Shelby Ivy Christie. She's a fashion professional and a fashion and costume historian. Thank you for spending some time with us. Of course. Thank you guys for having me. Our documentary this month is Invisible Beauty on Hulu or rentable from other streamers. I'll talk with the subject of that film, Beth Ann Hardison herself, later this week here. What can we learn about economics, money, markets, business from movies? There's our weekly newsletter for that. Go to Marketplace Econ Extra Credit for more info and a free sign-up button. I'm David Brancaccio, and we're from APM, American Public Media.